0: Here at the Product and Packaging Powerhouse, our key mission is really to help with unveiling the realities of product development, packaging strategies, and business tactics, empowering you, productpreneurs, and brands to advance, ascend, and accelerate your products into your marketplace. Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's episode here on the Product and Packaging Powerhouse. You know who I am, but just in case this is your first time. I am your host and your curator, Megan Young-Gamble, global project manager, business owner, and as you know, my favorite product in the world is lip gloss. And so for today, I am so honored and privileged to go international with my guest today, who is Mr. Leonard Graves. He is the founder of The Vineyard, which is a brand development firm that helps better for you food and beverage CPG brands build powerful brands and grow. As a brand strategist, he is also an author and he is also a podca- podcast host uh, with the podcast title Brand Start Goes Healthy. Leonard has over thirteen years of experience developing and building brands, and he also is the founder of a happy. Me, he is also the founder of Happy Copy, which is unlimited copywriting subscription service. And so Leonard, thank you so much for being today's speech of Powerhouse guest.
1: Hey Megan, thank you so much for having me and I'm so excited to be here.
0: Yes, well, let's go ahead and jump right into it. So Leonard, go ahead and share a little bit about yourself and how you got into the space and how you created the Vineyard Agency.
1: It's an interesting story for me, Megan. I'd say that my career probably started as a confused professional, I would say. Back in college, I I thought I wanted to be a broadcast journalist. That's why I took communications as as my major. But then After some time when I got encountered with media law, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. In fact, the university offered me a scholarship and I almost did. The ending was I opted to become a corporate professional. And so I became a marketing employee for one of the largest conglomerates in Asia. That's where my marketing and branding career started. So I've managed to learn about the importance of building a really strong brand foundation. How can you compete in the market by having a really good brand strategy? And of course, how would that translate into your marketing efforts? I've spent my career in that company for 10 years. So I managed to be promoted several times from being an associate to being a marketing manager to being a general manager and executive down the line. But towards the end of my career, while I've learned so much from that experience, Megan, I felt like I needed a new beginning. And I wanted to be able to control my own destiny. And while it was such a great opportunity, sometimes it gets overwhelming in terms of the realities of being in a corporate setting. You know, you don't have control over your time. You're in the nine to five. Not that it's bad, but I just felt that 10 years was too much of a time for me to be in one place. And mm-hmm. so after 10 years, I've decided it's finally time for me to move on. And so I quit my 10-year career in the midst of the pandemic, decided to start my own company, which is now The Vineyard, and started as a consultant also as a brand and business consultant. And then from there, three years from now, thankfully, I've managed to grow my agency for an average of about seventy percent growth year in year, and now I'm more focused on helping better for you food and beverage CPG companies, and really helping them out by providing my expertise on the brand development side to, you know, help more founders grow and succeed in this industry. So I'd say that's that's more or less my journey to entrepreneurship, Megan.
0: Oh my gosh, Leonard! It's amazing how we are on two different sides of the world, but our background is similar. So you start off as a confused professional, which is very similar to my story where I took a detour to destination journey. You spent 10 years in corporate. I did the exact same thing. Um, I wanted a new beginning during the pandemic. You did the exact same thing, Leonard. And then here we are almost your three years. I'm um, two and a half years at the time of this recording, where we both have our own independent agencies and firms to really focus on. Helping CPG brands to show up and stand out in our respective niches, so we're more alike and have a lot of similarities than we even recognize, letters. So I think that's very fascinating.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's Actually, with you saying that, it's giving me goosebumps. Can you imagine? We're almost <laughs> like we're almost like mirroring each other's journey, yeah. maybe. Yes,
0: yeah. and you know what? I think the pandemic really was a shift for a lot of people. You know, in reference of what was gratifying to them, what success meant to them, you know, what made them feel gratified in their work and within the environments, what they could do to earn their own money, you know, because of layoffs, you know, so there was a lot of shifts and pivot from all of us experienced during the pandemic. And I tell people this, like the pandemic was actually a blessing for me. And it seemed like it was for you too. You know with creating both of our own independent agencies and growing them and here we are both cpg firms you know you focus on brand development i focus on project management and operations and packaging it's a lot of symmetry so i really love that and i appreciate you for sharing your story and seeing the similarities we have in common
1: yeah it was really amazing and i'd like to piggyback on what you said very quickly that the pandemic to some extent is really a blessing for, for a lot of people. I know, I know it's so tough, obviously, even in my own case. But um, when I say blessing to your context, it allowed us to really explore the realities of of life, right? Like there's more in my case, there's more to it than just being in in this corporate arena i could have more impact for other people if i just go out and try to go on my own and mind you obviously it in my own experience it's not easy right it's probably one of the toughest things that you'll ever do if you want to start a business megan so thank you also for sharing that
0: yes oh my gosh the road of entrepreneurship On social media, they make it seem like it's really glamorized. It's sunshine and rainbows and everything is picture perfect. And you can make six figures in as little as three months. And it's funny because I think on a recent LinkedIn post, he was like, how to scale to a million dollars. And you kind of broke it down. But then he was like, just kidding. This has not happened in six months. It's a lot of steps to it. So to that point, entrepreneurship is not for the faint hearted, but there's still something, you know, for an individual that really drives them to say, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to be in control of my destiny. I want to start a new beginning. I start off independent consulting to then building out a company to then growing it to an agency. It's a whole evolution process. So I commend you, Leonard, you know, on your journey and the growth that you're seeing, 70% growth every year. That's phenomenal. So I want to ask you about that. You know, so considering you have the vineyard agency, you are seeing this exponential growth within your business. What would you recommend to other agencies that are looking to start, looking to grow, looking to scale, so they can have the same percentage of growth that you're experiencing?
1: That's a very important question, Megan. I'd like to start by saying, and this might sound cliche, but really, if you want to pursue something, particularly in the agency industry, the very first thing is you really just have to get started. In, in my case, I was mostly on the client side of things for 10 years. So I only have the slightest of ideas on how to run an agency. I've never run an agency. But then when I was exploring other opportunities to really focus on building my own business, I thought that the professional service industry would be the easiest route for me. And when I say easiest in terms of barrier for entry, it's going to be the lowest one. And how it happened for me was I really just explored what are the things that I can offer as an expert service that can help solve people's problems. So looking back, if there's someone who's looking to start an agency, that's probably where you want to begin. Do an audit of your experience and do an audit of all the things that you can do very, very well at least a little better than most people and find a problem in the market that you can really address. So that's the first thing. The second one would be when you start building an agency, you have to immediately understand that your lifeline would obviously be your client base and your cash flow. I say that because at the beginning of my agency journey, I was so fortunate that before I even incorporated my company, I managed to sign three clients so that wow. means that before I even jumped full time I was already testing the waters. I was calling people saying, "Hey, I'm about to leave my 10-year career. I'm looking to start this agency. Do you need any help in this particular field?"
0: Yeah.
1: And in fact, my very first my very first client that I can remember was just at a very minimal rate and I was practically ready to do everything. I was the consultant, <laughs> I was the strategist, I was the I was part of the team essentially, but that gave me that boost of confidence. So That Mm -hmm. that initial validation gave me that boost of confidence. But as I was going through the growth process, I realized how difficult it was to really build it. So immediately, Mm -hmm. one thing that I did and I thought became very contributory to our success so far was to immediately build a team. Not necessarily for everybody, but in my case, my vision has always been, I want this to be a better form of, my livelihood and my journey. So I didn't want to be that kind of entrepreneur who won't have any life anyway. Uh, So I wanted to really build that team. So I onboarded some people that I know I can work very well with. And that allowed me to, one, gain a little more extra confidence that it's not just me that's going to address the market's problem. And that also allowed me to really focus on my role as the CEO to really think about Where is the direction of the agency going to be? So build the team. First is get started. Second is leverage your network base. If you can, try to close a project before you even go full-time. And then third, build the team because you're going to look to scale. Uh, You're going to look to grow. And in my case, scaling is really just being able to go profitably, have the right number of client base, and really grow it to a level that I'm comfortable with. The fourth one would be probably tied in with one of my mistakes that I felt I did. Try to specialize as soon as you can. Because if you're just starting right now as an agency, there are already so many agencies out there. Mm -hmm. Probably five or 10 years back, you can thrive as a generalist. But right now, I've seen that that's more for the bigger agencies, you know, the likes of Ogilvy, Saatchi, and Saatchi, where they can practically do everything and anything from digital to branding to PR. And that's how we started. We thought we wanted to be an integrated marketing communications firm, which for me is just a translation of I don't know how to specialize. Yeah. (laughs) And that's what we did. But after some time, we managed to pivot and the benefit of that would be my f- next item, the fifth one, be have a focused marketing and sales effort. You don't want to being like a hellless chicken going around talking to just anybody and anyone that would accept your meeting invitation without being strategic over it. So I, I guess those five key points would be very critical if somebody's listening right now would be interested to start their own agency or professional service firm again.
0: Oh, my gosh, Leonard, I needed you when I started, but it's also still timely for me in this current season I'm in for my agency, because once again, we have a lot of similarities. You know, I started building up my client base when I was in corporate. Then I went consulting with an actual agency to build up more variety and see as a generalist which areas I really wanted to focus on to then leveraging my network with some packaging suppliers, vendors, et cetera, to really showcase, Hey, I'm now independent. I am seeking new opportunities. I will do pretty much anything, you know, to then realize that I needed to stop being a generalist to then land on what's my specialty as soon as possible. So then I was able to tap into my own niche and then be able to focus my marketing and sales efforts around the niche that I'm in. So Guys, that was a whole crash course that Leonard just gave you all of how to build your agency, how to leverage it, and how to start and grow as soon as possible. So Leonard, thank you so much for sharing those five key gems, because I think that's really insightful. And a lot of times people feel that they will have to to get all these certifications before I can start, I have to get 20 years of experience before I start. Sometimes it's just a matter of just doing it. And... I'll share this with you. My very first client, when I started my business, I went to a SCORE a SCORE event. So SCORE is like nationwide here in the US where they offer free business planning, free business classes, things of that sort. I got my first paid client from a free event through a free organization because I was like, let me just see what it is. What's the pricing I should charge? To that point, just to start and see what I wanted to do. So I just wanted to share that for anybody listening, guys, it is not too early to start. Use your experience, assess your functional uh, competencies, what are your capabilities, and start right there to then start really recognizing how you want to craft your own niche within your field. So Leonard, thank you so much for sharing that. So I have to ask, you start off as a generalist, but now you work with better for you food and beverage CPG companies. How did you determine the niche area for your agency? That's an
1: interesting question. And if I'm being honest with you, Megan, it's definitely not an easy initiative to take. Generally, it's not an easier route to even consider because for most people, it may sound counterintuitive. Why would you want to be a specialist focusing either in just a specialized horizontal or vertical expertise as compared to being there for everyone. Point is the analogy would be if you're sick and you have a particular disease that you want to be treated, you don't want to go with a general generalist doctor. You do if it's for example, if it's about your eyes, you'd probably go to an ophthalmologist or optometrist. (laughs) Because you know that they have deeper expertise. So that's the principle behind this. In terms of journey, the very first thing that we've tried to do was take a look at our client base and see if there's any commonality in terms of their problems, our service offering, and if it's a viable and addressable market that we can take on down the line. That was the very first approach that we did. Mm -hmm. The second one would be taking a look at what can we really harp on that we're so confident that can help address people's problems? So before we even landed on brand development, we probably a few other options such as email marketing, content marketing, can we do PR, can we do influencer marketing? So the, the point would be, the principle would be, either you take a look at a very specialized service. So this is going horizontal. And then you address a a much bigger market or you become a very specialized agency for a particular service with a particular industry. So those are some of the formulas that we had to take. In our case, it became a vertical specialization with a horizontal specialization support. So horizontal meaning the service that we're offering would be brand development It's not just branding. It's not just marketing. We want it to be more encompassing as end-to-end brand development for better for you CPGs, meaning we'll do brand diagnostics, brand auditing to strategy development. How should you position your product? What would be your key messaging points? How should you transform that into your visual identity and packaging design and so on? But we also thought that if we want to thrive, we want to be able to specialize on an industry where we can really go deep and deep And understanding what are the nuances of the people around this industry? What are the problems around them that we can help solve? And so we thought of focusing on the better for you space. We know that the CPG is sort of very crowded already, but we found it so exciting that the better for you market, so those plant-based, vegan, functional stuff are really growing and growing. So that's how we, we got our start. So in in summary, if anyone is looking to specialize, you need to take a look at what are your specialization in terms of service? Mm -hmm. What can you offer that's going to be helpful to the market? And obviously, people would be willing to pay for. And then Mm -hmm. second, do you have any industry that you either have an experience already or you have enough network. And even if you don't have anything, if it's something that you feel that you really want to pursue, then I guess you can you can do that. So those essential two things would be how you can get started in specializing, Megan. I
0: love that. And Leonard, we are so much more alike than the more we speak. We have so many <laughs> commonalities with each other because I did the horizontal approach when I first started, as I was a consultant and looking and seeing if I'm, you know, as a journalist the overarching horizontal approach for me is project management i'm a certified project manager i'm agile certified so that is my horizontal plane but then as i was working in insurance transportation logistics and then an actual health and beauty company that's where my vertical approach really stepped in to really focus on health beauty wellness especially with the packaging aspect to it. So I love that. And I think that's something that's key for anybody, regardless of where you're at in your career or profession to start that, you know, look at your horizontal approach. What can you do that's more broad and then start specializing with your vertical approach. So I love that because those two elements are key. So thank you so much for sharing that Leonard. Now I have to ask you about the bad side of entrepreneurship. Okay. Because as we talk about most people glamorize entrepreneurship on social media. Oh, you can do this, you can do that. It's the best thing ever since sliced bread or whatever your favorite thing is, right? What has been one of your biggest failures or as I call as a project manager, lessons learned that you recognize as an entrepreneur when you started building out your agency and growing your team?
1: That's that's a tough question, Megan. I'd say it's it, it's really not being able to immediately hone in on my target audience and understand how to build a healthy client base that could support my cash flow requirements. I think that's the main mistake that I've made. But looking back, I don't think there's anything that I could have done right away because I felt like part of the process for me in growing my company and growing as a founder and entrepreneur was really going through those phases. So my main mistake was my marketing was scattered We were in all social media. We didn't know who exactly we were talking to, so we weren't as efficient. I was probably spending so many time in client calls, not realizing that those calls weren't really ever going to convert because... It's not the right market. I'm not even sure if they have the right problems. So that was the mistake. And that led me to now experiencing some of the dark side, I would say, uh, of entrepreneurship, because I totally agree with you. And you've already mentioned this two times. And I agree with you. I almost think like you're my alter ego in (laughs) some place somewhere, (laughs) Megan, because of the similarities of our journey. But the bad side would be you've got to be comfortable if you really want to be an entrepreneur. You've got to be comfortable with being uncomfortable and with being uncertain about what's going to happen with the future. In my mm-hmm. case, that meant at some point in time, especially when I was starting, having three months of no cash flow. And mm-hmm. the following year, I, I think I had like probably about at least one quarter of no new business, no new clients. Mm-hmm. And that gave me a lot of stress, if I'm being honest with you, because I was used to having like paycheck, regular paycheck month in and month out. But in our case, it was so tough at that at that stage because we didn't know where the next client's going to come in. We weren't sure if our marketing was being effective to think that I'm a marketing professional myself. So that's one of my mistakes. So the the dark side really is... It would have to take you a while, especially if it's your first time being an entrepreneur. My favorite quote would be coming from Reed Hoffman, co-founder of LinkedIn, who said, being an entrepreneur is like trying to fly a plane while building the runway at the same time. Or while trying to jump on a cliff while trying to build the parachute at the same time. Meaning you don't exactly know if you're going to survive and thrive. Or yeah. as you'd know, the other side of it would be if you're gonna fail and not have anything at all. So the dark side for me would be the reality that when you become a business owner, it's really on you to think about how can you really thrive, how can you really build a healthy business. That's why you were asking me how to build um a, a really great business. And looking back, to me, it's probably gonna have to be the basics still. You have to make sure that you have very strong business acumen. If you don't have it yet, you do your best to really get to improve your business acumen. Second, understand your product and market fit. What are you looking at um, in terms of offering? And then third, with obviously, your brand development, which which encompasses your, your sales and marketing efforts. So I made that mistake for at least the first 18 months. We only pivoted towards the middle part of our journey when I thought like, I can't be running this agency this way. I yeah. can't be having a marketing that's not resonating with anyone. And so what we ended up doing would be totally revamp and rebranded our company. And so we became the Vineyard now as a brand development firm for Better For You FNBC PG companies. And I scrapped everything that we were doing, Megan. So I sat down with our team. I talked to my CEO and I said, let's stop doing Facebook. Let's stop mm. doing Instagram we don't even have to do YouTube anymore. You have to focus on where your market is hanging out. In our case, I realized that's LinkedIn. And so I even told them, let's let's not focus on anything. I don't care if you don't have any posts in social media, but what I care about is I want us to be improving 1% each day in making content that really addresses people's problems on LinkedIn because that's where the market is. And yeah. then that's, that's my 20% that's going to give the 80% result, you know, the Pareto principle, the secondary for me would be my podcast. But I also shifted my perspective that I would be honest with you, Megan, at the beginning, my podcast was more like a sales tool for me to have my entry point. But I realized it's not going to feel good about myself. I'm not going to feel good about myself. And, you know, the market would see that. And so I shifted it totally to really just exerting this time and effort. And you'd know this, it takes so much to produce, maintain, and regularly run the podcast, right? But I felt like if I can have a community where other CPG founders can just quickly listen to, spend 30, 40 minutes, and gain so many actual insights from other successful founders, then it's going to be worth it. So I I hope that that's making sense, Megan. I know I sort of like stretched that out a bit, but uh, I thought that was a very good question and an eye-opener for anybody who's looking to enter the entrepreneurship world, right?
0: Oh, Leonard, let me just say, I think we are each other's alter egos or something because, you know, not only our commonalities, but even like our thought processes, you know, because I'll be honest, people when I started my business, they was like, you need to be on any and every social media platform, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, uh, Snapchat, do they even still have that? Periscope, um, YouTube, LinkedIn, all of these different places, Right. And I'm even in a stage now where I'm scaling back on those social media platforms. So, like Instagram, we post, but it's more so grants and opportunities for those who need the cash flow, right? But our core audience is on LinkedIn to that point. So, we're really having the podcast really showcase powerhouses like you to talk about the good and the ugly truth of creating the products, entrepreneurship, business, all of those things, because LinkedIn is where it's at. And that's where our primary audience lives. That's where they go. They go for the most exciting news, see what's happening. And to your point, we're providing solutions to the problem. So you gave a whole crash course on entrepreneurship right there, guys. And if you did not hear Leonard, I need you to pause right here, rewind to hear all the gems that he shared just in reference of his lessons learned with entrepreneurship. And we're sharing this On both ends, because we are constantly evolving as entrepreneurs, we're constantly learning, we're constantly assessing what's working, we're constantly looking at our own KPIs and OKRs and stuff like that within our business to see the 70% exponential growth every year. So guys, it is not something you're going to come out the gate and hit on the first try. You may, but the percentages of that hitting a home run on the first shot is much less so guys, be okay with going through change. Be okay with being uncomfortable because that being uncomfortable is gonna really aid in your growth, guys. And there right now, I am being tested in so many different ways, but I appreciate it because it's helping me to learn, helping me to pivot, helping me to reassess, helping me to define my metrics my better, my team deliverables better. How I operate as a CEO better all of those things is part of my lessons learned. So Leonard, I think we are each other's alter ego, to be honest.
1: I agree, I so, agree, Megan. Yes,
0: yeah, so thank you for sharing. So now let's shift a little bit to talk about, you know, within the vineyard, your brand company, how you really help brands to define their messaging, how to articulate that, and then how that's communicated on packaging. So in your experience, how does pack, excuse me, How does the design and messaging on packaging contribute to brand recognition in a competitive market?
1: Yeah, that's an interesting question, Megan. And I got two items from what you asked. First is how we help our clients in terms of really evolving their brand. And second would be the importance of design and messaging. So I'd like to quickly touch on the first one. Throughout my years of experience as, as a brand development specialist, we've managed to really zero in on our own process uh, on how CPGs can really effectively develop their brands. And so I've come up with this framework and tool that I call the four quadrants of brand development, wherein we, everyone that we work with, we take them into that journey of going through each quadrant before we even get to that level of design and, uh, well, mainly design as the last one. The four quadrants very quickly would be the first one would be your audience. And it's not just about the psychographics and demographics. We have our ways to really work together with their client to go deeper and understanding who your market really is, uh, how are you really helping them out, what does matter for them, and how your product is really addressing those, those concerns by the market. The second one for us would be the positioning. CPG is so, so tough. And it's an understatement for me to say that it's such a cutthroat industry. So the second quadrant is very important if brands want to stand out. Positioning is where we take a look at and develop what's going to be your value proposition statement. What's the value that you're really offering and how should that be connected with the people's problems or needs. The second main component of that would be your unique selling point. In one statement, what's one thing that's going to answer the question, why should your customers choose you over your competitors? So this is where we do all the competitive scan, do all the brand workshop to really come up with those powerful statements that can really hone in with your VPS and your USP. The third one would be your character. And the character is more of the Exciting part where we try to personify a product. What's gonna be your values? Who you're really gonna be? What's gonna be your main message? How are you gonna translate that message into your marketing collaterals? And more importantly, how are you gonna transform these components or quadrants into your visual identity? And so the fourth quadrant would be the identity. I I'd tell my my clients and even the market that. If you get someone who's going to work with you and immediately offer you to design something without doing a lot of the strategic work that needs to go through everything else, yeah, it's probably not going to work out so well for you in the end because it's going to be like building a house without your architectural and engineering plans. And if you do that, you're not going to have a very strong foundation. So the last yes. item is the identity where we take a look at how's your brand logo. How are we going to translate this into your color palette? And then more importantly, would be your packaging design and everything else now. So you get this consistency that everything else goes back to how you're serving your audience. How are you reinforcing your positioning? How are you living up to your character? And how are you now developing your visual identity? Which now leads me, Megan, to your next question on the importance of design and messaging because I'm with you. I would even say that your packaging design is probably one of the only marketing assets that you're going to have to use perpetually. Obviously, it's going to evolve as time evolves and as you learn more about your market and your industry. But number one, design would have to do two things for you. One is to capture your customer's attention. Second would be to convince your customer after you've intrigued them enough and pick you up that you're really the product that they need to buy. Um, mm-hmm. And I have this, and I have this seven second rule that I've now established. Looking into the yeah. industry, where I say that you probably have at least five to seven seconds to really capture somebody's attention. And I say that because on the shelf, you're probably pitted against at least thirty other brands, whether that's directly competing with you or just brands within your category shelf. It's gonna be tough. How can you stand out if you only have like seven seconds? Um, to yeah. come up with, with you know a really powerful statement. So that's the second one. Uh, that's the first one, rather. And the second one, which is tied into to the packaging design, as you mentioned, would be the importance of your messaging. One mistake that I've seen a lot of CPG companies or brands do is they try to clutter their packaging design with the hope of trying to say as many things as possible in their packaging material. That's actually the wrong way to do it. What you need to do would be to be able to figure out What are your top three to five elements that you need to be able to really reinforce in your packaging design? And how are you going to translate the messaging in a way that's really going to resonate with your market? And I have a couple of examples that I want to share, Megan. One would be a brand called Climate Candy. Uh, I've engaged with their CEO and I remember her telling me when we were trying to go deeper on how important messaging is. At the beginning, because they're so focused on the issues of climate change, their messaging was it's a product that's going to rescue unharvested fruits and vegetables. That sounds very important, right? But it turned yeah. out it's not really resonating with, with the market. So the way they changed it, uh, they were using upcycled uh, fruits and vegetables. So the way they shifted that was we want to rescue ugly fruits and vegetables. It became so much simpler. You don't use upcycle as a term because not a lot of people would probably know that. And then it hit them. So that's how important messaging is. And they had to go through a lot of brand development sessions to make that happen. The second one, which is a more recent conversation that I had, would be with Blender Bites, uh, founded by uh, Chelsea Hodge. And it's such an exciting brand because we're in the market for six years now. And she was telling me they had to do at least three brand iterations Um, both on the brand standpoint and their packaging design to really figure out what's the best way to communicate it in the market. The first thing that they were doing was all of those things that were healthy, were functional, and those are all important. But when she realized that the problem she's really solving would be removing all the hassle and creating your own healthy smoothie, and so the messaging that they landed with would be your one-step smoothie. Mm. That's a very powerful message. It's just three words. It could use as a tagline and it immediately tells you that's their unique selling point. That's the value prop that they're offering. You don't have to chop all your vegetables. You don't have to put everything else in the blender, throw other stuff here and there. You just have this blender bites healthy pack. And then you throw it in the blender and voila, you have your your smoothie. Wow. So I'd say those are the things that are really important across all industries, I would say. But I've seen this yep. as important in the better for you FNBC PG industry. But generally the the four quadrants brand development, if you just take that uh, from my toolbox, you're probably gonna have a better chance of succeeding, I would say, Megan. I,
0: oh my gosh, Leonard, like let's okay, rewind to your four step framework. Because at the end of the day, once you start having a specialty, going back to what we talked about earlier, you're then able to refine your own framework. I have my own framework with my agency and my firm, similar to you. And it's a four-step process, similar to yours. You know, so guys, we are on the same wavelengths. okay? Leonard is in Asia, I'm in the US, but we are on the same path. So I tell people, I say this jokingly, but I mean this wholeheartedly, a lot of times here with different stakeholders, we're all saying the same language, even though we can all be co-located in different regions, ge- different geographic locations, different time zones. So guys, we are saying the exact same thing and have the same approach. So yeah, I think we really are all to Eagles winner. Um, however, you know, so even with just, you know, explaining the four quadrants of brand development from audience positioning, character and identity to really make sure that you have those powerful one-liner statements. Is gold, and then I want to look into climate candy and blender bites because, especially with blender bites and smoothies, everybody's like tapping into that market right now. They want something that's quick, that's healthy, that's something refreshing, you know, and not a lot of fillers. So smoothie game is like growing exponentially. So I definitely want to look into blender bites myself. So I really appreciate you for sharing those. Your framework it's part of the toolbox. So guys, add it to your toolbox. Okay, Leonard just gave you the four steps or the four quadrants he utilizes with his own clients. You can implement that same thing, or you just go and hire Leonard and his team to do it for you, and they'll make sure that they have you in right and have your brand on point. So now, Leonard, with you being a branding expert, a marketing expert, what emerging trends do you see in the realm of food and beverage packaging and How should companies prepare to adapt for these changes?
1: Thank you for that question, Megan. And I'd like to say that while it's important to always look at what are the trends coming up, I also want to reiterate the fact that in terms of brand development, a lot of the foundations don't change. Mm -hmm. So I say that because I want to reinforce this principle that while emerging trends are going to be so important, you want to make sure that your, your brand foundation in terms of your principles are really, really set in stone because if you have that, then whatever trends come, you'd still have your own base stuck um, very firmed up and so you can really weather a lot of the changes in the market dynamics. And when I say foundations doesn't change, it's both in terms of your business principles, the way you run the company, and your brand principles, the way you build your brand. But to answer your question, I probably think about three emerging trends. Uh, okay. One being we're still in the growth stage of the content economy. So whether that's brands creating contents or content creators impacting the economy. So that's how I define content economy. So how can brands take advantage of that? Is One, you want to make sure that you're not just doing the same old marketing tactics that we used to do 10 years ago or five years ago. The audience now is looking to look for more transparency, looking to look for content that resonates with them. And if you have some opportunities to tie up with some content creators that really resonate with your own brand and your customers, that's probably an opportunity that I'd advise other brands to take a look at. The second one being the social commerce. Direct-to-consumer is still a very, very lucrative platform, and it continues to evolve and grow. And one of the major developments now would be the social commerce side of things, meaning Mm -hmm. particularly TikTok, if you have the right market in that platform. It's something that you want to take advantage of. I've seen people sell $40,000, 50000 in just a span of weeks because they understood how to take advantage of the social commerce. Because in this case, you're actually using a social platform that's now powered with e-commerce capabilities and that's the term social commerce. So it's yeah. much more directed to your consumers compared to just having a direct consumer e-commerce website. But you definitely need to have that um, because it's a very powerful tool to have in your entire brand development. um, schematics. So that's the second one, social commerce. And the next one, that's something that has been growing in the past few years, and I believe this is going to continue to grow, would be understanding that the market is looking for both personal and environmental health impacts. Meaning they're not only looking to buy something that they need, but they're also looking to associate themselves with products and brands that can contribute to the betterment of their own health. Thus, it's going to be like tasty and plus some. So whether that's a functional, whether that's less sugar or no sugar or helping you function better, focus better, whatever functional benefit you have, you want to take advantage of that. And the second one would be the impact with climate change. So Mm -hmm. are you doing something at least to try and contribute to that sustainability impact that a lot of brands now have been being criticized on um, because of what they've done at least in terms of their processes. So I think now consumers are more keen on those two aspects. So to cut it short, so be sure that you have a strong business and brand foundational principles. But if you're looking into some trends, so it's going to be your content economy, social commerce, and how the market is looking at the importance of personal environmental health benefits, Megan.
0: Oh, good point, Leonard. And we, I think during, especially after the pandemic, we've seen a rise in all three of these areas, right? So we've seen the increase in content economy. So how people are leveraging different social platforms, and then also how they're communicating their personal and environmental impact and what that means to them and what they're looking for in brands specifically, you know, that resonates and align with them too. So we're seeing an upward tick and it's constantly growing because we're in an information Consumers are information hungry right now. They want to know how is your product better than the next product that's next to you? How do I know what your brand represents? How do I know what you're doing from an environmental standpoint? Is it in alignment with my values and my morals and my mission and my goals? And how do you communicate that, you know, as part of the brand messaging and having the right foundations in place too? So we're definitely going to see upward tick in all three of those trends. Um, and I guess we really shouldn't even call them trends. They really should be ongoing um, at this point. And it's just the way we operate now,
1: right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, Megan.
0: So awesome. So last two questions as we start to wrap up for today, which is with your agency, you talked about building your team. You talked about the sustainable growth. You talked about your lessons learned. You talked about environmental impacts. And you're also working with Better For You Food and Beverage CPG brands. How do you have your team and the brands collaborate with each other in the design phase, in the brand development phase, to make sure that they're articulating their messaging and having a strong brand foundation?
1: Wow, that's That's an exciting question, Megan. I've already shared the four quadrants of brand development, which is more or less the the strategic framework and tool that we use throughout the process. But we also have developed our own brand methodology, I would say. So this is now the step-by-step guide that we have to go through and we need to lead our clients to go through if they want to work with us. So everybody that comes on our world and wants to work with us on the brand development side would have to go through first what we call our brand diagnostic process. We take it as our professional responsibility and expert duty to make sure that we're diagnosing the brand's problems very well before we even go through all the things that we need to do for us to solve that. Similar to how a doctor or other professionals would do it, you have to diagnose first. So we don't come in and pitch anymore with all of the ideas because we'd want to do the diagnostic process first. So we have that brand diagnostic, the beginning, and then we'll do our brand strategy development, which could encompass def- several Tools and materials depending on the need of the client. So, but that's where we typically do our brand workshop. So where we can go deeper with our clients and talk to them and even talk to some of their market, really hone in on what's the most relevant possession that we can have for you. So once we have that strategy, we now go to the middle part, which we call the brand forecast and creative springboard. So before we go to the nitty-gritty of the design elements with your font, with your color palette, we start first with an overview palette of how we're envisioning your brand coming to life design-wise. And that's Mm -hmm. what we call the brand forecast. So we have some very loose elements in that material. We try to bring them in into that world and the possibilities of the design elements so we can immediately get their inputs right Uh, and have their sense that it's probably going to be better if we take a look at this approach, use this color Pantone, mix and match this meshing, and all of those sorts. And then we do our creative springboard where we have our inspirational scavenging uh, process internally uh, as a team. So we identify two concepts conceptually as art direction where we can go. And then finally, we execute the last two parts, which is our identity development where we do a lot of the design materials the logo, the packaging, the website, the collaterals. And then the last part, which is not necessarily something that we do for everybody, but we do the marketing touchpoint side. Meaning with this strategy, with the diagnostic findings that we, we've we got and how we translated that into our strategy, and now with our creative execution on the design standpoint, how do we now translate that into your marketing execution? So we take a look at what are the more relevant touchpoints for our clients and then create another whole marketing execution strategy. And if it's feasible for both sides, we do it for at least six to 12 months and really help the clients grow at that point, Megan.
0: Man, so guys, if you ever wanted to start an agency, start now. If you needed help, if you need help with brand development, start right now. Um, if you need to stock your toolkit with a framework, start right now. Litter gave you his framework with the four quadrants. If you needed a whole methodology to use how to get started, Leonard just gave you his methodology. Guys, he gave you all his whole playbook. You hear that, okay? He gave you his whole playbook that is worth in value thousands of dollars, okay? So guys, this is what the show is really about. To speak with powerhouses who are really conquering in their respective fields to help you as your own powerhouses show up and stand out to launch your products in the marketplace. So Leonard, you dropped some significant gems. And the last question I have to ask you, because you shared your framework, you shared your methodology, you shared how your brand foundation is critical for everything. What is the misconception about branding? There are quite a lot.
1: So I'm going to have to think about one that's that's more common. Uh, I would have gone to say that one of the, most common misconception is that branding is not marketing or branding is more than just a logo, but I'd say that's so passé already, so I'd leave it at that. But I would say one of the major misconceptions about branding is that you have to do it towards the latter part of your business. It seems like other brands would think that you can't do it until you're at least a few years in the market. Or that branding is more aesthetic, so it doesn't really matter at the beginning. Yeah. So a mistake that I hope a lot of other businesses would avoid is making branding as an afterthought. That's a misconception, and that's a mistake. Branding should form part of your CAPEX. Branding should go hand-in-hand with your product development. And while I know there could be nuances in terms of your capitalization and how you use your CAPEX at the beginning, but... Yeah. Even if it's just you thinking about the brand at the beginning and not hiring someone like me or my firm, you got to do that. Because yeah. at the end of the day, what I would say is in whatever market, you can never win with a losing product. But yeah. even a great product would lose without a winning brand. So if you want to really thrive, yeah, thank you, Megan. So if you really want to thrive, you got to make sure that you avoid that misconception that branding would have to happen towards the latter part of your business, and I would I would be open with you. Branding can can be an expensive investment, but depends on who you work with and the way we do it is typically we we veer away from having a standardized cost because it doesn't make sense for me and for the clients. What I hope to do is let's be open with our conversation. Tell me your problems, and I tell you how can we help you because I've worked with. Other clients that could be as high as $100,000 or even more. Other bigger agencies would charge you $500,000. But to me, what's going to make sense would be what's the main problem that you have? What's the financial health that you're in that would make sense for you to invest? And there are, I think, a lot of other agencies who are willing to work that way. The point Mm -hmm. being is you got to figure it out on how much you want to invest with your branding Because again, if you want to be more than just a commodity, if you want to transform your product to being a brand that people love and clamor for, then you have to stop thinking about branding as an afterthought. Branding should be part of your entire business strategy. You have to be thinking about it right at the very onset. I would even dare to say right at the inception of your business. And that's probably going to give you a much, much better chance to win. Or at least to fast track your process in terms of evolving your brand into a level that's going to be able to compete even with bigger brands and that the market would really learn to love sooner than later, Megan.
0: Leonard, that was gold right there. That's my drop, literally. So thank you so much for sharing. And guys, everything that you heard today, right here on the product and packaging powerhouse with our powerhouse guest Leonard, you need to rewind and re-listen to this because he drops some phenomenal gems with his framework, methodology, misconceptions, and also things that y'all are gonna start doing and implementing now so branding is not considered an afterthought for your brain or your business, okay? So guys, um, now, as we know, as I wrap up with every single episode, we are gonna go into our power round. So our power round is 60 seconds where we ask our powerhouse guests about some of their favorites, based on their fun facts. So I'm going to set the timer for 60 seconds. And Leonard, are you ready for this?
1: Yeah, this is probably the most difficult part now, Megan.
0: (laughs) Hey, we're talking about putting pressure. Apply pressure, apply pressure. So we're going to go ahead and start the clock. And let's go. So in seven seconds, explain the importance of brand communication in packaging design.
1: I would say... Brand and packaging design is how you transform your business from being just a mere product to something that people can really desire and want to have in every day of their lives.
0: Okay, nice. What does sustainability mean to you and the brands you partner with?
1: Sustainability for me would be two-pronged. It's being able to build a thriving business that can last two years by having the right business principles or right business acumen and a healthy cash flow. And the second part would be sustainability in terms of the level of impact that you're making, not just for yourself, but for your customers and for the community in general, Megan.
0: Okay, we have eight seconds. So you are a published poet. Give us an excerpt from one of your favorite poems.
1: It's a haiku that I call Haiku and Prayer, and it goes like this. Need not many words to reveal my heart to you who hears from heaven.
0: That's beautiful. I love that. Can you send that to me or send me your poem or your book so I can buy it? I want, I want to actually put that up on my poster.
1: Thank you. I will, Megan.
0: Yes. Awesome. So guys, you have listened to our powerhouse guest, Leonard Graves, who is the founder of The Vineyard. We had so much conversation. We didn't even get to talk about Happy Copy, but all of those details will be in the show notes. And also make sure you do tune into his podcast as well, which is called Brand Start Goes Healthy. So all of those links will be down in the show notes for you all. And so as we wrap up, Leonard, let everyone know how they can get in contact to learn more about your brand development services.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm very active with um in in my LinkedIn presence. So I think that's one of the best way to get in touch with me. So my LinkedIn is Leonard Grape or so Leonard Grape. Uh, you can find me there. I'd love you for you to, to send me a DM or even email me at grape at thevineyardbc.com. My passion really now is in helping better for you CPG founders. But just very recently, some CEOs, agency founders, and creative professionals have been asking me to help them out. So I've been sort of building a consulting practice as a LinkedIn marketing and sales consultant for anybody who want to learn from my experience as an agency founder. But if you're looking to have help on the brand development side. Our website is www.thevineyardbc.com. But if you need help with an unlimited copywriting subscription service, my other creative firm would be happycopysub.co. So I look forward to hearing from you all.
0: Awesome, guys. And you heard it right here on the Product and Packaging Powerhouse Show. And as we wrap up for today, we want to make sure that you do not think of branding as an afterthought. You want to make sure it is thought about at the conception of your brand and product development, and make sure you have brand foundations in place as well, and having them be set in stone. So guys, thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. Make sure you do follow, like, and subscribe to our platforms, as well as give us some love with some five-star ratings as well. And we look forward to seeing you on our next episode. So I'll see y'all then.